Hi folks and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajimam again. Great to have you back with us on the show today and this is an exciting day for us. Today we're going to launch our very first Q&A session. So as we've mentioned here in the past, there are going to be episodes in which we'll be taking in questions from you, the listeners, in audio and video format. And you can ask us anything you want that's related to Japan's real estate property market, economy, business, or even more broad topics, as long as they're somehow related to what we usually discuss here in at least some indirect capacity. So our first question is coming from Parcha Chawla in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and he wants to know the following. Hi Zev, how's it going? Just wanted to put in a question for your podcast. Um, what do you think is the best place in Japan right now to invest in for both capital gains as well as decent annual returns? And just a follow-up question, um, both for non-citizens as well as maybe foreigners who intend to become permanent residents of Japan, what uh, do you think are the best financing options available? I know it's a loaded question, but uh, any information would be useful. Thanks, and best of luck with the podcast. Bye. Thanks, Parakshat. These are both really good questions, actually. With the first one regarding investment locations, now we've discussed it a bit here in the past when we were talking about investment strategies in Japan's property market. So obviously the ideal sweet spot for investors anywhere in the world is both, right? Everyone wants high returns, which means good rental income in comparison with purchase and running costs, but also high growth potential, which means we'd like to see the price of our property grow over time, or at least have the potential to if the economy does well. The problem is that these two criteria are usually mutually exclusive, simply because the properties that tend to generate higher rental returns percentage-wise are cheaper properties, which by definition are in places that haven't gone up in value or at least haven't gone up in value yet. Now, ideally, and some people are very lucky or maybe not necessarily lucky, but very intuitive and savvy when it comes to picking their investment locations, they recognize or they make an educated guess as to a particular location within a country um, or a region or even a city uh, within that country and region. And for whatever reason, they believe that this particular location is going to be the next big thing. Now, if and when we're correct on those assumptions, we hit the jackpot. We buy cheap, generating those high rental yields, and then price goes up, which means that if and when we want to sell or leverage our equity in some other way, we can make some extra profits on the back of that capital appreciation as well. But really, this ideal situation is similar to the equity market scenario of beating the market. So people who are trying to actively and purposefully invest in companies or assets that outperform general market indexes. And as many wiser and more experienced investors than ourselves have found out, that's a really hard feat to accomplish in any environment. And real estate isn't that different in this regard. So if we look at Japan, for instance, from the top down, let's say, there have been people who have bet on the market having bottomed out at many points throughout the last 20 years or so. And in the last six or seven years, they were probably right. But anyone who came in at any point between, say, 1993 to 2010 or so probably hasn't fared all that well as far as capital appreciation goes because prices continue to trend down until late 2012 or so. Similarly, within the country itself, um, we and our clients have made more than a few bets on more than a few locations within Japan. 
And in some cases, like Fukuoka City, we were right. In the last seven years, it's done as well as Tokyo and Osaka, as far as price hikes are concerned. Central city properties in Fukuoka have been going up as sharply as in those two major cities. They're not nearly as high as in Tokyo and Osaka, simply because their starting point has been much, much lower. But yields have more than halved between uh, 2012 and today in Fukuoka City. So while back in 2012-13, we could regularly get yields as high as 10, 12, even 14% in central Fukuoka, these days, if we get to 6 or 7%, we're doing very well. But to go higher than that, we'd have to buy in the suburbs, and even then, we're unlikely to even hit 8 or 9%. In other cities that we had highlighted for potential growth, success has been more mild. So Kumamoto City, for example, has risen nicely. Uh, Sapporo City prices have gone up only slightly, and now seem to have ground down to a halt again, and, and so has the city's population, by the way. And Kumamoto and Sapporo are also major destinations for our clients and have been in the last seven years or so. Within the cities themselves, again, same story. Some areas like Roppon-Matsu in Fukuoka or near Kumamoto University campus in Kumamoto City have done phenomenally well, sometimes almost doubling in price over a few years. Other places like central Nagoya or Higashiku in Fukuoka City haven't. Also, bear in mind that sometimes these bets aren't necessarily wrong, but can simply take longer than originally anticipated for various reasons. So to answer your question, there are two potential strategies to generate this balance that you mentioned. So the first one, the one that we've spoken about until now, is the more speculative route. And that's to try and pinpoint areas which we think may be underpriced at the moment, but could potentially take a giant leap forward in coming years. So we can offer some insight there, but it's important to recognize that these are just educated guesses. Again, they're definitely not guarantees. We don't have a crystal ball, neither does anybody else. So we can't promise that these assumptions will turn out to be true, or if they do, how long it'll take. So with that in mind, I would probably say that Nagoya, which has been taking longer than we thought originally, is probably going to still be a good bet. The new bullet train uh, line between the city and central Tokyo means that it's going to become more popular for both business and holiday purposes. And vacancies in Nagoya have been dropping significantly in the last year. Also, demolitions of old properties along those renovated train tracks mean that this trend of vacancies is likely to get worse over the next few years. So there's going to be less vacancies. They're going to drop further, as we've mentioned here when we did our uh, annual review a couple of months back. Kumamoto City, again, slowly continuing to rise, can still offer 8 to 9% net pre-tax returns. And the um, Befu and Chayama areas, which are the uh, two next major subway stations on the Nanakuma line in Fukuoka, after Roponmatsu, which is the city's uh, current top success story as far as urban renewal goes, probably a good bet as well. Lastly, I would say um, satellite cities and bedroom communities around Tokyo, Kawasaki, and Yokohama. A bit more speculative, but probably not too much of a gamble. So smaller towns that are up to an hour away by train, maybe 45 minutes, uh, if possible, from those central locations. Whether that's going to be a long-term trend or not is still an open question, but I'd say they're definitely not going to drop in value much provided, again, that the rest of the economy in Japan does well. Now, the second strategy, aside from trying to bet on the next big thing, is to simply find places that have already gone up in value nicely, but still have a fair way to go, again, if things go well. So these are places 
that might generate lower monthly returns in comparison with places that have already made it, so to speak, and they may also continue to rise. Now, this strategy might not create the huge leaps and bounds uh, as far as property prices go, but it's a more safe and stable approach, which gives you more peace of mind that you're invested in places which have already proven to be good profit drivers over a longer period of time. So for that purpose, I'd say anywhere in central Fukuoka, um, Kobe, next to Osaka, Kawasaki and Yokohama next to Tokyo, all places that may not generate anything beyond 6% net pre-tax, but are very likely to remain attractive for potential tenants and property developers for years and years to come. And so they can come close to being a guaranteed good location for property price hikes over time as well. And again, provided that Japan's economy does well as a whole again, which is anyone's guess, of course, but at least tenancy-wise, you're never going to have an issue there. Returns will be stable, will be safe. So I hope this answers your uh, first question, Parakshad. It was a bit of an overture, but I think it sheds a bit more light on what exactly this balance between monthly returns and potential growth prospects can look like. Because there's more than one answer to that question. And as always, diversity, right? Don't put all of your eggs in one basket. We keep coming back to this point, but that's just because it's a really important one. Divide your investment budget into a few smaller portions if you can. And try to spread those over a few locations or a few asset classes or a few property types. That'll just give you the ability to hopefully profit from a few potential sources, even if one fizzles out. And hopefully also not to be stung too badly if things go south in any one location that you're already invested in. You've still got the others that are generating good income. Now, for your second question, as far as financing goes, um, you're right, it is a loaded question. And we've covered it to some extent in previous episodes as well. Generally speaking, as far as Japanese banks are concerned, you will need a permanent or at least quite a long-term visa, and more importantly, a steady and high enough Japanese income. So that's income generated in Japan, either as a salary or as company revenues from companies that are registered here in Japan under your name. For investment purposes, each bank will have its own criteria, but that's a bit harder because that criteria becomes then more stringent, meaning... Some banks will only lend against investment properties in particular areas, uh, properties of a maximum uh, particular age at a minimum purchase price. Some will even ask that you buy more than one. The logic being that they want you to have more than one income stream in case anything happens to one or more of those properties or if you run into extended vacancies in any of them, etc. And the other option is, of course, financing from your country of residence or your country of original residence. In that respect, while local banks usually will not lend for overseas properties uh, straightforward mortgage loans, um, aside from some exceptions like banks that also have a presence here in Japan, like Bank of China, for example. But what they will let you do is take out a personal loan or a business loan against the equity of any assets that you have in your country of residence and secure them against those assets. Now, those um, general purpose loans may not offer the same attractive rates and terms that traditional mortgages do, but they're much, much easier to qualify for. And again, each country, each bank will have its own specific criteria as to exactly which loans they can provide. So the best thing is usually simply to approach the bank that you've been working with the longest or the bank with which you've got the highest amount of cash or other assets under management and see what the, they can offer for you. Okay, that's it from us for today, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please keep on sending us your questions in audio or video format if you can, or even in writing if you're too shy to record. That's fine, too. 
Leave us a comment wherever you might have found us. We'd love to hear what you think and talk shop a bit. And we'd love it even more. Seriously, seriously love it if you could share this podcast with your own networks and best yet, rate or review us or both on the iTunes store or the podcast download center. It helps us improve and it also helps us to reach more people who might find this content useful. Hope to have you all with us next time. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, we wish you a great morning or evening, wherever in the world you may be at this point in time. And until then, we wish you, as always, happy investing.